will be the unification of the various tribes into a nation. And even as each of those tribes receives its own allotment of land, a number of times Joshua calls the people together to speak to the united tribes of Israel. And of course, in the presence of God, we'll see that will be in the form of the tent of the meeting. Last week, with chapter 4, chapter four in Joshua, the Jordan River was crossed, and the people finally entered the Promised Land. And God had the 12 tribes under Joshua's leadership mark the occasion with a stone memorial. And the purpose for the memorial, as you recall, was that it would cause future generations to ask the question, what do these stones mean? And uh, in the beginning of the chapter, it's what do these stones mean to you? The stones in the Jordan were to be a reminder of the activity of God, the one who had made possible their escape from Egypt and who had provided for them a land full of promise. And it was a sign of His grace and mercy, a lasting memorial to the power of God and to its effect on the life of God's people. And at that place, at the Jordan, God had transformed the experience of His people they went from slaves to heirs, as I mentioned last week, from desert wanderers to a new united nation. And the stones pointed to God, and they pointed only to God. And the parents would explain to their children that the Lord their God was the one who dried up the river before them until they had crossed over. And of course, that would lead to them discussing the other miracles that God did on their behalf, and of how God chose them uh, to be His people. And through that, the children would learn who God is. God is a mighty God. God is a just God. God is a God, He is a God of grace and mercy. And, and it is God alone that they are to trust and obey and devote their lives to. And, and God's covenant for this chosen people, this nation of Israel, was that they would be united in their devotion to God and God alone. And being united in their devotion to God, the nation of Israel would help to serve God's purpose. As the final verse says in chapter 4, that all the peoples of the earth, all the peoples of the earth would know that the hand of the Lord is mighty and fear the Lord your God forever. In my study of Joshua 4, I looked up across references to stones and memorials and came to the familiar passage from 1 Peter uh, chapter 2, uh, verses 1-10. through 10. And I found there what I see as a parallel, a parallel for us, the church, and with Israel, with, with unity being the common theme. So I'm going to read that passage, uh, 1 Peter uh, chapter 2, verses 1-10. through 10. Peter writes, So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. As you come to Him, 
as you come to Jesus, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. But you, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Praise God for his word. So with this passage, Peter writes about unity in the church and how the church is unified in their salvation in Christ, unified in their devotion to Christ for the purpose, as verse 9 says, that you may proclaim the excellencies of Christ who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. But first, interestingly, um, Peter exhorts the church. Verse 1 Peter writes, So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Immediately, Peter tells his audience what the unified believing church should not look like. There should be no malice. Malice basically means wickedness. And malice can manifest itself in deceit. Some version, versions of the Bible use the word guile. The, the idea is using devious words and actions to get what we want. Peter also warns against hypocrisy. Of course, if someone claims to be a Christian and is, is practicing malice and deceit, uh, they're essentially hypocrites. And then there is envy. Uh, perhaps uh, Peter includes envy here because envy can result in malice and deceit and hypocrisy. And finally, slander. Evil speaking. Conversations that tear others down. Talk that causes division and not unity. Gossip, even. And Peter says, no, put away all those things. Get rid of them. Don't partake in those things. Don't partake in any malice, any envy, or any Gossip, put them away. That's not the church, he's saying. Instead, in verse 2, Peter says, like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. Spiritual milk is a reference to God's Word. How many of you eat lobster? Okay. In my experience, I don't know anyone who just likes lobster. People don't just like lobster. They love lobster. And because lobster is expensive and most people can't eat it very often, when you eat lobster, it becomes like this event. 
It's like this special occasion. There is a longing for lobster, a craving for lobster. Is it on sale at Shaw's right now? Because if anybody leaves right now, I'll understand. So, so people who long for lobster, or like newborn infants who long for milk, Peter says, in the same way, long for God's Word. Crave God's Word. God's Word will help you grow in your faith. He says, as you read it, and study it, and meditate on it, and, and share it with others. The, the, the New Living Translation says, cry out for this nourishment now that you have had a taste of the Lord's kindness. In other words, now that you have been saved. God's Word is the antidote. It's the remedy to malice, deceit, hypocrisy, slander, and gossips. I mean, we have to admit that Christians are not immune to these things. When, when, when the flesh is allowed to rear its ugly head, we're not immune to the, these things. But by it, as Peter says, by God's Word, we can grow to love one another. Peter writes earlier in verse 22, he, he calls for a sincere brotherly love. And he exhorts us to love one another from a pure heart. And then Peter continues, as you come to Him, as you come to Jesus, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. And he continues, for it stands in Scripture, behold, I am laying in Zion a stone a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in Him, whoever believes in Jesus, this cornerstone, will not be put to shame. Of followers of Jesus Christ, those who have had the experience of life transformed by Him are living stones, are being built into a spiritual house. And of course, Peter is speaking of the church here. And as I said last week, you and I who are in Christ are living memorials. We're the ones who are supposed to draw from the people the question, what do these stones mean? In other words, what's different about you? We often think of the cross as a continuing memorial to God's salvation power. And once a month, as, as we're doing today, we recognize the communion service as a memorial also. And sure, both are powerful symbolic reminders of what God has done for us in Jesus Christ. But in our, our lives, in our lifetime, we're the ones who are the reminder of what God has done in this world in, in transforming our lives. God is made visible to most of the people with whom we come in contact with day by day. God's made visible by us, the living stones of the church. We are the people whose lives have been transformed by our encounter with Jesus, by the, the presence of the Holy Spirit within us. And for some of us, that, that transformation was, was dramatic and, and, and unmistakable. 
uh, a, a life that was heading nowhere, a, a life of uh, blatant rebellion, a life without hope. And that has been radically changed into a life of hope and a life of holiness in a, w in a way in which no one can ignore. And, and for many of us, the, the transformation has been less dramatic, but no less real. Amen? It's no less real and hopefully uh, no less obvious. And just as many stones unite to make a physical building, uh, we as living stones unite in Christ to make a spiritual house we call the church. And as the world looks in, as our neighbors and community watch and observe, Peter warns against malice, deceit, hypocrisy, slander, and gossip. And he admonishes us to long for God's Word so that we might be uh, present, that we might present to the world uh, a sincere brotherly love and, and show that we love one another from a pure heart. And then next, Peter gives a brief glimpse into the future. He says, So the honor, so your heavenly reward is for you who believe. But for those who don't believe, those who do not believe the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. So again, the honor is eternity with the resurrected Jesus for those who believe. But for those who do not believe, Jesus becomes a stumbling block, a rock of offense. Uh, earlier, uh, Peter citing Isaiah 28.16 referred to Jesus as a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious by God. And that, that same cornerstone of the church, capital C, cornerstone of the church, Jesus becomes the judge of those who willfully reject the gospel, those who uh, disobey the word, as Peter puts it. And, and those are strong words. He's saying, do not reject the gospel you will be judged guilty. And by then, it'll be too late. It'll be too late to receive this gift of salvation. And P Peter concludes his thoughts of unity in the church with verses 9 and 10. He says, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of Him who called you out of darkness, into His marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Peter reminds us in verse 9 of what we have become, uh, of why we should be prompting the question, what do these stones mean? We are a chosen people. God has chosen us, and, and in reality, it has nothing to do with us. All we do is respond to God's uh, gracious invitation to accept His life, His love, and accept His offer of a born-again life. Now, in, in God's infinite grace, he, he looked upon us and picked us out as, as people who need His help, who need His reconciliation, who need restoration. And praise God for that. And we can't, we can't be arrogant about this. We can't go around saying, ooh, look at me, God picked me. 
Because God is the one who made it possible in the first place for anyone to be chosen. And, and the offer is made to all men, the, all the peoples of the earth in, in Joshua chapter 4, or, or the world in, in John 3.16. It's just that there are so many who refuse God's offer, who choose to go their own way, who continue in their rebellion. But Peter talks of us as being chosen uh, to remind us that it's not of our own doing. It's God's initiative. God's the one who did the choosing. But once, once we've responded to this mercy, God begins to transform us into a royal priesthood, as, as Peter says. We, we, we become those uh, whose sole focus is to bring glory to God. All our lives become a means of worshiping Him. It's our spiritual sacrifice, as Peter mentioned earlier. And, and Paul uses the same words in Romans 12 that we talked about last week. Our spiritual sacrifice in our work, in our leisure, in our time together, in our time alone, in our words, in our attitudes, in our actions, in every part of our lives, we are worshiping Jesus. We're trying uh, with the help of the Holy Spirit, br to bring glory to His name. And always looking to Christ, who's done so much for us. And, and in fact, He's done everything for us. So this, this spiritual worship happens as we live our own personal lives, but we're also drawn together uh, in that uh, with, uh, as a holy nation. Like the Old Testament nation of Israel, God's people now are a nation set apart. Holy, uh, uh, of course, is a word that speaks of purity and, and separateness or, or distinctiveness. Nation speaks of a people with a, a shared identity. And, and that's what we are. We're the church. We share the identity of people of Christ. But unlike Israel of the Old Testament, those who are in Christ we, we transcend national and international borders or, or, or even barriers. I mean, th there should be something about a Christian from Panton or Vigenz or Addison or, or this area and a Christian from Brazil and a Christian from China that speaks of these shared uh, set of beliefs, the, these, the, this common set of values that we have and our together our unique focus on Christ. And in the next phrase, Peter emphasizes that he says we are a people belonging to God. All those who are in Christ belong to God. God's set His mark on us. It's a mark of integrity. It's a mark of a joy, a mark of love, a mark of peace. Peter tells us in the next verse where he alludes to Hosea in the Old Testament. He says that once you were not a people, but now you are a people of God. There was a time when the only thing that united us was our rebellion. Our rebellion against God. We were all going our own way and doing our own thing. That's what united us. But God, in His wisdom and mercy and grace, has, has called us together. And even in, in a small group uh, such as is here this morning, you know, he's managed to mold together a pretty diverse group of people. Praise God for that. 
And, and he's molded us together in a church, a church of people united in Christ. I was reminded of our, our slogan, the heart of Christ and the heart of the community. We belong to God. We're, we're followers of Christ. We're something that should stand out in, in the community, in our world, so that people say again, in effect, what do these stones mean? What's all this about? Who are these people? We, we are like the stone memorials at the, the Jordan River, living memorials to remind others of God's continued activity. God is still working in this world. That's, that's what Peter means when he writes, that you may declare the praises of Him who called you out of darkness into His wonderful light. Ironically, uh, the root of the phrase declare the praises uh, sometimes conveys the idea of gossip. As we know, gossip can destroy a church. But here, Peter seems to be saying, he seems to be saying, if you're going to gossip, gossip about Jesus. Gossip about the gospel. That's what Peter seems to be saying. Declare the praises of Jesus, who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. And that's what we do on Communion Sunday, amen? We declare the praises of Jesus. We remember Jesus' death on the cross. His great sacrifice. We, we rejoice over His death, I mean defeat of death and sin with His resurrection. And we humble ourselves before Jesus as we confess our sins to Him. And as a body, again, we declare His praises. And, and because of that, because of that, we, we can be the kind of people who do, in fact, make others people say, what do these stones mean? What is, what's different about this person? What, what is the source of her joy? What is the source of his peace? And we can tell them, it's not what. It's a who. And we can point them to Jesus Christ, our one and only Lord and Savior. Amen? Amen. Amen. Praise God. Gentlemen, and come up and... In Paul's instructions in 1 Corinthians letter, uh, we're reminded that the instructions are for the church. The instructions are for followers of Jesus Christ. And it's our tradition here that um, you're welcome to partake of the elements if you are indeed a follower in Christ. But we encourage you, uh, if you haven't trusted Christ as your Lord and Savior, to let the elements pass by. But please consider, consider the gospel of the salvation in Jesus Christ. Consider what that would mean for you. Consider, as uh, God's Word says elsewhere, consider eternity. Consider where you will be in eternity. So I'll, I'll read the passage and then we'll uh, pass out the elements. Paul writes, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night He was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it, again in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread 
and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Praise God for his word.